Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. It's Dr. Johnson and, and uh, sort of Dr. Berg here in the in the podcast studio at Wisconsin Lutheran College uh, here in, uh, well, I don't know what's going on in your world right now in the end of January 2021, but I've been buying GameStock and American <laughs> Airlines. Yeah, I mean, this could... <laughs> I'm not an expert. This could end like really badly for a lot of stuff, but it is. I mean, it's fun, and I don't like. I'm in. The, I I do pay attention and and do play around with a little bit. I mean, obviously, small potatoes, and I don't like it when things like this happen because it probably hurts my bottom line. But I sure do love the 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 financial trolling. And one of the kids is like a 15 year old from Milwaukee. Yeah, awesome. and they uh, this is awesome. I mean, they're exposing a exposing problem with a, the yeah, system, right? And and it's it's always I've never done like the margin like the or the the shorting or whatever. It just seems a little bit dishonest and a little bit risky. And it's just you know like making money out of no for no reason. That's not probably good for. And the GameStop and the AMC is all great, but my favorite one is that they got the BlackBerry trending up because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know they were still around. And they uh, right. so. <laughs> So anyway, I that's what I've been spending my time is scraping yeah. to get together. I don't money. know how to do it, and it's good I don't learn because uh, I was raised going to the horse race track, and yeah. I love betting on horses. Yeah. And I've told my wife the stock market basically seems a lot like yep. the horse race track, and I think I get a little bit too into it. The only difference is um, with the horse race track, like you get like they're coming down the finish line, and yeah. you can yell at them like, "Come on, four, yeah. let's go four!" Like I don't. And if you're on the floor of the stock market, I suppose you can yell, and it's more right. fun. But like you'd have to be a day trader, which is is it's yeah, um, too much paper for me. They're right. just always shooting paper around. It seems right. Like. I, it's just a, when you start to look into like what stock trading is and and banking in general, you're like, hmm, this is not really what I thought it was, yeah. and it makes me feel a little scared. Yeah, and we you know we talk about um, capitalism, but there's all different kinds and. Finance capitalism is definitely its own thing. Right. It's like a different, and I'm not saying it's good or bad, although I have my opinion on that. Um, but it's definitely, you know, it's money making money. It's not, you know, a manufacturer making something or retail selling something. So I, I kind of like, and I like that they were kind of doing it for retail stuff, you know, yeah. to kind of. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what happens with it. I've been trying to think of what stocks. It would be really fun to see. Like go through the roof. Go through the roof. Like, yeah. I wonder how Kmart's doing these days. <laughs> that would be <laughs> Sears, Pomida. Sears, Roebuck, Taco uh, John's, Shopco, Taco John's. Yeah. yeah. All very good stuff. Um. Yeah. You know, it'd be a good one. White yeah. Castle. Yeah. Yeah. Because maybe I they could open some stores in Milwaukee then. Yeah, they are. <laughs> I wonder what uh, <coughs> White me. White Castle's probably part of a bigger, like maybe Yum brand or something like that. I don't oh, know. That could be, I don't know that yeah. for sure. But I tell you what, one of the stocks that has performed extremely well for, and consistent for me has been Wendy's Arby's. It's one one thing has done very well for me. Oh, Wendy's Twitter really got this. I mean, Wendy's got a classic Twitter account, and yeah. I think that's really upped sales. So I, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if there's a correlation, but. <laughs> Well, they're Maybe. they're like known like other sure. companies will ask Wendy's to roast them. Yeah. So I do think that. I, with, I don't, the, with the kids these days, because right. Wendy's in the past was like where your grandma went and got like the soup and salad bar and the square yeah. burgers. I I just don't know if there's a direct correlation between the stock pr- 
price. In there it. is, Mike. There is. Okay. I'll watch. I have been watching that because I do own. Yeah. I, I shouldn't say that. One of my, I think, uh, Noel. I gave no. I gave that to Abigail. Abigail owns that. So when I first bought this, like years ago, well before they had a Twitter handle, yeah. Um, we'd go into Wednesday Wendy's and I'd say to Abigail, I'm like, you see that napkin over there? You own that. That one napkin. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually probably just a little rip of the napkin. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Anyways, oh. you shouldn't get me excited about this because I've already been talking about trying to do it and. My wife gets nervous with anything that like has gambling connotations and can become compulsive. Like because the even like I like going to the casino, but I don't like playing like roulette or games mm-hmm. or. But if you get me on like a reasonably like I'm not doing like a twenty dollar blackjack table, mm-hmm. but you get me on, and if I win the first couple, watch out. It, yeah, I'm. You have that personality. Yeah, like I always would. If you know, back in the day when we go to Jackpot mm-hmm. Junction. You know, I'd always have to have a couple friends where I'd say, like, if I get up and it starts trending down, like, tell me let's, like, let's go get a drink or something. You know, uh, step away from the table for a minute because you kind of zero in on it. I'm weird. I, I like paying attention a little bit to the stock market, although I, my interest um, sometimes is higher than others. I get bored pretty easily, but never. And, and I do like horse racing. Never liked the casino ever for one second. Oh, really? I don't like gambling at all. Because, like, the environment of it? No, it just doesn't do it for me. Like, I get bored. But uh, horses, do you ever go to Northville Downs? Oh, yeah. Yeah? I, Hazel Park in Northville, my grandma and my mom used to go all the time. Yeah. And they would win. They had a system. They oh, yeah? tried to teach me sometimes. The main rule was never bet on a gray horse. I've never bet on a gray horse in my life. <laughs> and... uh but I grew up, Mike, behind DRC. Was that closed okay. when you were? Yeah, I think remember, that probably... That was thoroughbred. And so we used to go across the train tracks, and then you'd hop some fences. Yeah. We actually found a dead horse. Oh, yeah. That's right. You um, were telling me that. Behind the track, because there was also a practice track, and then there was a field. Yeah. And so uh, we were like 11, 12-year-old boys. But uh, so what do you do when you find a dead horse? Well, you poke it. We poked it with sticks, yeah. And uh, I, I look back on that, and I regret it somewhat, because I... Why was there a dead horse there? Right. And that's but we could also, if you could kind of see the racetrack, it, get close enough, you could, as kids, have your own little gambling operation. Oh, yeah, that's nice. That's like, that's 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 old school. That's cool. But then sometimes if the trains were coming by when you went by, the conductor had like this little salt gun, and he'd like, shoot you with little salt pellets. Really? To, yeah. Um, I never got hit, thankfully, so the, even though I was the slowest, fastest one. <laughs> so that that's interesting about because that uh, Santa Anita's had some huge issues with deaths of horse in the last like yeah. year and a half. So I don't know the story on that. Maybe that mm-hmm. horse just wandered off on its own, and you were the first. It was one in to the see sunset it. of its life, and um, you know, but we so, were right. But, but North DRC th- was there, and then I don't know. If you're probably not familiar with my neighborhood, but then the Wayne County Roads Commission was there, okay, where they kept all the big salt piles, sure. so you could go jump on those as right. well. But you could almost fall in oh, and, sure. and drown. So it was not dangerous. the smartest thing to do. But that was like Adventureland for sure. us back there. Uh, Northville Downs, for those uh, not uh, uh, familiar with the Metro Detroit area, harness racing. As was Hazel Park. Yep. Mom and Grandma were in the harness racing, not thoroughbred. So I, I know the harness racing game much better yeah. than uh, so, thoroughbred. Um, my mother took me out to Santa Anita out in California, and I, that was one of my fondest memories. Um, and uh, so Mother's Day, here's a little, on the north side of Chicago, Arlington, we yep. went one year. I bet simulcast on it. Yeah. So uh, maybe that could be a family. That, we could have a podcast outing to yeah. Arlington. <laughs> when racing. we were in Myrtle Beach, I think it was Myrtle Beach for 
Ziggy for baseball. Maybe it was when we were in uh, Sandusky, Ohio. But we went to a restaurant, and then, like, in the corner they had simulcasting. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wandered over, and then uh, my mom came and joined me. But I had, um, like, all the baseball kids behind me trying to tell me, you know, um, how to bet in that. And mm -hmm. I, I thankfully, I think I walked out $12 ahead. Okay. But that was even more pressure because I felt like I was a role model of them in that moment, right. and I really needed to win right. on my bets. And the thing with simulcast is you can't only see if the horse is gray or not. Really? Yeah, they sometimes walk them out, but oh, if you're trying to bet multiple sure, tracks at the, once. Yeah. So. That is tough. Um, so, um, but I think that, you know, everybody needs an Uncle Wade to teach him what a trifecta is. Yeah. yeah. And, and by the way, the Arlington is pretty. Should can, I teach Abigail? You always tell me I can't teach Abigail oh, I've already taught her that. But I'll teach you better. Yeah, that, I'm no no doubt. Um, but you know what's cool about Arlington is you can kind of you can bring like a cooler and your own lunch and everything. You don't mm -hmm. have to. I mean, you can make it. It's it's if it's a nice day, it's a good family. Yeah. Sometimes we'd sit up in the nice areas at the, but um, but really, you if you're gonna experience a racetrack, you have to be down in the bleachers, yeah. the grandstand. Yeah. So anyway, fond memories. Okay, we should move on. That was ten minutes of horse racing, and gambling. <laughs> <laughs> Although whether, it really does, whether, let whether, me let me transition this, Mike. Yeah. It really does play into what we're going to be talking about today. That's right. Um, because what we're going to be talking about today is the Marburg Colloquy, mm -hmm. which was a big gamble. It was a big gamble, and Philip of Hesse was he was he was taking a risk, right? He, he was and he on. was a gambler. I mean, he to be a bigamist, you got to be kind of a gambler at heart. And we'll get to the bigamy another, eventually. Another right? session, because because marrying one spouse. Is placing a bet. Marrying two is is doubling down. Yeah. It's putting all your chips, boom, on the table. So, anyways, he's gambling. He gets the Swiss, who come, and uh, you know the Swiss to me, they're kind of like the you know, um, they're the, the the unknown in a sense to many in Germany because, uh, like Luther and those who are more in the north, you're not having a lot of contact. Um, but for the south of Germany, <clears throat> there's a lot of back and forth between. Um, and uh, and then you've got the the different Lutheran parties that come too. And I would say probably for the Swiss, the odds of um, the colloquy working, they probably came in, I would say, thinking three to one. It's, it's, it's a gray horse. You're not quite sure? No, th you wouldn't bet a gray horse. Three to one's good odds. <laughs> but it's not. you're not going to make a lot of money better, but... But I would say for Luther coming in, it's like 12 to 1. Mm -hmm. Melanchthon probably is somewhere in there like 6 or 7 to 1. Um, and uh, so they, they're going to they're gonna gamble. They're going to have it out. The race starts off strong. I mean, they're a dead heat. They're adopting articles. Boom. We can the agree on this. 14, we can agree. Yeah. For 14 lengths would be, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then it not working. Let's say horse number six is it not working, like on the home stretch? Like the last fifteenth of the race. Yeah, there's fifteen horses running, and the other fourteen just break. And if you've ever seen a horse break, it loses stride and it just falls yeah. back. And it it's one of the most heartbreaking things that you can encounter. And uh, there'll be and tears the, shed. The last one just boom shoots forward, and uh, those who bet seven to one, they're walking away. You know, you put five bucks down, you just made $35. Um, and the Swiss go home thinking they had bet the favorite and dejected. Phillip's so dejected, he's going to have to get married again. Um, and uh, 
Yeah, we got to do Philip's bigamy at some point. Yeah, well, I think on our list is is next Philip Fessick. So as an accession, um, so we've we've thoroughly. You ever read what? Why you wanted to divorce the first life? What, Can, what you, save it. Save it. Well, he's just like she smells and she's drunk. Yeah. She's just great. You, you, we'll save it. We'll save it. Let's let's uh, save our bullets. I think it should time. be a law in America that if you want to get divorced, you get to make your ex's uh, dating profile for like whatever. For like three months or something. Yeah, that you because then maybe people might not get divorced because can you imagine? Well, you would think that that would be in the, more than three months. I think three years. Well, I think that's something for the prenuptial agreement. What amount of time? Well, right. No, I think the state should mandate something. Well, maybe the state mandates like a minimum. But then in the prenuptial agreements, you would have yeah. like... Trisha's for me would be brutal. I mean, think of all the things she could hit upon. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you would Fat, not. Fat, balding, like, like if generally lazy. Let's say, like, you would never divorce Trisha. Um, no. And she wouldn't divorce you because she's a good Lutheran. Uh, she's a good Lutheran guy. Everybody's got their uh, breaking, breaking point. point. But what I'm saying is, let's just say tragically, um, you know, she passes away in her sleep. No, I don't even want to think about that. But let's just... And then you, you would be, um, let's say... On the market again. Yeah. I'm just not. Sh- I, I I don't know. I would. If, I would just use your picture. <laughs> I don't think that's gonna help you at all. <laughs> all right. Let's focus here on the the colloquy of of Marvin. Okay. Let's start with this, Mike. What's a colloquy? No. Uh, let's talk the Swiss a little bit. It's been a while since we've talked the Swiss. Can I give you just a look? Can I get the Okay, do that, historical? and then let's get okay. into the Swiss first for context. So remember, uh, last time we left off, we were talking about the Second Diet of Spire, 1529. Uh, uh, in 1526, the First Diet of Spire, there was a backing off of enforcing the Edict of Firms uh, in exchange for uh, evangelical-leaning princes to provide military aid to Ferdinand, the Archduke of Ferdinand, in his uh, um, Eastern Front battle with Suleiman the Magnificent and the Turks. That does not go well. In 1529, um, at the Second Diet of Spire, um, it, it's, there's going to be a clamping down on reform, and the evangelical-leaning princes are going to protest, and this is where we get the word uh, uh, Protestant, Philip of Hesse is maneuvering himself as the leader, or at least one of the leaders, at least the spokesman of the, of the evangelical camp, so to speak. And he is already maneuvering in the spring of 1529 during the Second Diet of Spire to get together the Swiss and the Wittenbergers, <coughs> excuse me, and with that the South Germans to get together and have a united political front over against maybe the Roman Catholic Empire. He understands wisely that there needs to be some sort of theological agreement. So can we get together? Um, and so they are going to get together in Marburg. This is going to be in the first part of October 1529. And they start off like all of these, in, in, in any kind of po- politics or business or whatever, let's start with what we are going to agree upon, but then things are going to fall apart. So let's define the... The parties. Let's start with the Swiss. Okay. First, I'm going to read the names of everyone who was there, and I would like you to tell me which one would make the best name for a racing horse. Okay. Okay. I'm going to try to pronounce them all correctly. Martin Luther, Ulrich Zwingli, Stephen Agricola, Johannes Brentz, Martin Bootser, Caspar Hedio, Justus Jonas, Philip Melanchthon, Johannes Echolompadius. Andreas Osiander, and Bernhard Rothman. 
You know, Casper, probably. Really? Yeah. I would go with Echolampadius. Yeah, I suppose. That's a tough one. That but I would make it not Johannes Echolampadius. I would make it Johannes's Echolampadius. <laughs> you're making the you're making the the announcer very mad because he's got to say but that. Those are the best names. Twenty times around the track. Yeah. You know. Anyway. Yeah. So tell me. Okay. About, so I'm tell gonna tell you about, about the, the Swiss. <clears throat> we're talking at this point. We have to keep straight when we're talking about the Swiss Reformation, where we're talking about and who we're talking about, because there's um, while there's um, some points of unity, there's very different things happening in different cities. <clears throat> so we can talk about Zurich, Basel, Bern, Geneva, um, and here we're talking about primarily Zurich, right? Um, Zurich is the main Swiss uh, canton, the main Swiss city around which the kind of emerging Swiss Reformation is going to orbit at this point. And so by far the most important figure there is going to be Ulrich Zwingli. Now, so we'll briefly talk about Zwingli's Doctrine of the Lord's Supper because when you get later, many of the Swiss will become more um, favorable towards what will be John Calvin's Doctrine of the Lord's Supper, which will be he'll attempt to create a mediating position between Zwingli and Luther. So um, Zwingli has a, a very flesh-in-the-spirit dichotomy through which he views things. For Luther, it's law and gospel um, is his dialectic. For um, Zwingli, it's going to be flesh and the spirit. And this affects his Christology. This affects his views on worship. This affects his view of the Lord's Supper. And I think we did a Zwingli session, right, Mike? Uh, yes. Okay, I I, so. so you guys can find that if you search through. I wish I knew the number, but I don't. Um, but uh, for Zwingli, the Lord's Supper and baptism are, uh, as we might talk about them in the in the American setting, many uh, Protestants talk about them as ordinances, um, their covenants, uh, but they are more like circumcision in the Old Testament. Uh, where, at, at best, right? Right. At best. That this was, you, God commanded it, so you did it as a confession of faith, and it was a sign of something but it doesn't necessarily convey or confer grace. It's not a means of grace in the sense that Lutherans talk about it. It doesn't necessarily give the forgiveness of sins. So in Zwingli's view, the Lord's Supper can't be Christ's body and blood because of this flesh-spirit dynamic. God's um, grace uh, is spiritual, and it wouldn't attach itself to material things. This also affects uh, Swiss Reformational views about art, and music. Um, and so it's body and blood, but the believer does it because God has commanded it, and it reminds the believer, it's symbolic, it reminds the believer of what Christ has done. Um, it's in a sense a sign, but I even hesitate with that because Zwingli will not go as far with that sign-type imagery as Calvin will. It's a sign in that it reminds you, um, but for Calvin there's some sense in which it's delivering something of which it signifies. Um, for Zwingli to be more of a bare sign, your faith, right, um, is calling into remembrance what Christ has done. Now, if we can switch to Luther, and then I'll throw it to you to, to correct anything you think or add um, whatever you think will be supplementary. Uh, for Luther, this is going to be very problematic because Luther is very much a means guy. Luther is very much a God uses material things for his purposes. So, for instance, in vocation, he uses you in your job or in your various roles in life. Um, he 
uh, also then in spiritual things, uses water, uses bread and wine. He doesn't just command them for us to be o- obedient in his signs, although they are certainly signs as well, um, but uh, they actually deliver what they signify, right? They give this thing. And so it is Christ, very body and blood, in a sacramental, not a cannibalistic way, um, and it brings forgiveness, life, and salvation. So this disagreement isn't just about what do we receive in the Lord's Supper. Rather, it's about how does God operate um, in this earthly realm in order both to save and to serve, right? And uh, this will then be uh, a sticking point. I honestly am, am, am quite amazed that Luther was willing to be as charitable as he was with some of the previous articles. Um, but this one, there was no way for Luther to compromise on this and have the kernel of his uh, theology remain whole. Um, Luther also recognized that this would present a problem for Christology, the way in which uh, Jesus is true God and true man, and not in a, um, uh, a uh, um, Nestorian way, like his humanity and divinity being like two boards glued together, but uh, Christ is 100% man and 100% God. And so sometimes people will look at this in the Protestant world, and you hear people that will really fault Luther. Oh, think of all that could have been just done if he would have just compromised on this article. Um, and they miss kind of the whole of Lutheran Reformational theology would have been undone if this compromise were made and thought through. And so it's no coincidence um, that the Lutheran confessions focus so much on the incarnation, on the Lord's Supper, on baptism, how God works through these means, just as I would say um, the incarnation is at the the heart of both the uh, um, Nicene and Athanasian creeds as well, because similar things came up in the early church. What we do see here too, and we'll see it with Calvin as well, Zwingli, Calvin, Luther, and the Roman Catholics are all going to claim Augustine. And then they're all going to take different emphases from Augustine, right, um, into how they see things. Uh, and so this, this sign language, right, the la- what is it to be a sign, will become uh, um, very important. And I, I would almost grant here, Luther is going to be the one who kind of... Um, moves away from Augustine a little bit on this because you can read Augustine and sometimes think he sounds a lot like Calvin yep. on this, um, but Luther sees how central this is. So the Swiss, um, just keep in mind that flesh-spirit dynamic um, and uh, it, uh, it'll play out with the incarnation, for instance, in that Zwingli will say um, the, uh, the finite, right, is limited. So Christ, if he has a body, can only be in one place at one time. So I just kind of get a kick out of that. It's simplistic, and, and someone who was, was a Zwingli would get mad at me. But his view kind of almost was like, if Jesus somehow stood up from being seated at the right hand of God, the Father would have to say, now Jesus, you sit down. Uh, you know the scriptures teach that your one body is seated here. As opposed for Luther, we would have the emphasis of when he comes to the frightened apostles in the upper room which is locked, Right. Or was it an upper room that's locked at that point? I don't know if it was an upper room or a room. Well, there's, there's, 
some people sort of assume because they had rented it. Yeah. So <laughs> the, through this locked door, he walks through. But the whole point of him walking through is to prove his resurrection. So he walks through with his body. Um, well, in the same way that he can walk through that door with his body, he can be present in the sacrament in a non-cannibalistic way that is still a bodily way with his body and blood. This would be Luther's argument. And so the words that Luther um, supposedly carves into the table there in Marburg... Or, or with chalk, yeah. Right, is, the, is the Latin... Uh, yeah, draws, I'm sorry. Is the Latin for, this is my body, right? Uh, and this will be central. Um, where Zwingli will focus more on um, scripture passages, which we'll talk about flesh and spirit. Right. But I yeah, thought you no, might. and I think it's just so very important. I, when I sort of in a simplistic way, teach this too. And, you know, the brief moments that we have in our, our classes here outside of the Luther class is to say, whenever you start a sentence with God can't, you maybe want to check yourself, right? To be able to say, God cannot do this because the infinite and the finite. And, and there, there's some, some value to thinking about some of that stuff. But at the same time, I think what we really take from Luther is not so much this is what the although this is where he grounds it this is what the word says i can't get past hocus corpus meum right this is my body i can't get past i can't do i would have to do violence to the right. to the text and while Zingley and others will say well he also says he's a door or a gate yeah. or a vine jesus always explains what he means by that there to make clear it's a metaphor, he doesn't do that here, and right. Luther recognizes that. And and it seems to be much more of a testimonial situation rather than than some, another place. And, but I think beyond that, he's also, it's not just the word said it, so just be done with it. Although that's that's fair enough. But there's got to be a mystery to God, right? You, I mean, for a lot of Luther, it is, you have to let God be God. Right? This is, I think, a lot having to do with his theology of the cross, having to do with not trying to come up with theodicies to explain God away. You have to let God be God. And so he does maintain in a healthy fear of God from his medieval past, right? right. He is not going to go too far the other direction where I am going to compartmentalize in a, in a scholastic way God or am I going to put God under my reason, which would be more of a... Of, um, um, a Protestant, for lack of a better word, way to, to talk about it. A so, capital R Reformed word. Yeah. So, um, and it is interesting, like, it's really hard to, uh, sh you know, how do you put Zwingli, Calvin, and Luther into modern day, um, modern day denominations and not so easy, but you probably would say, okay, classic reform, maybe Anglican, there's a spiritual body presence, you know. Yeah, the Anglican view is going to be more close to Calvin than yeah. Zwingli. And, and, but Zwingli and sometimes it's going to really want to be Lutheran. Yeah. It just can't get there. And, you know, probably think your Baptist non-denominational is closer to Zwingli, although I oh, don't Zwingli think... Oh, Zwingli wins America yeah. in this regard. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not maybe exact, but but the idea of a... Zwingli it's a actually probably had a higher view than a lot oh, of sure. non-denominational Americans. But you could see it's... That the sign is representative rather than a sign that does something, or for Luther, a sign which gives something. The 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 body is in, with, and under. That that's right. that language sort of thing. And so, you know, I, I'm wondering what your take is on Luther's attitude towards this. He's reluctant to go. Right. He doesn't think that he thinks it's going to be a waste of time. And and I think it's safe to say he's got a bit of a bad attitude towards yep. this. Um, but you had said he plays along for these f 
first 14 articles that later become the Marburg articles that are going to be fairly, you know, much like uh, uh, any other confession. We all agree in the Trinity. We all agree in this. Um, and you kind of had some, some uh, you were a little bit surprised at, at maybe Luther's uh, willingness to bend a little bit, maybe at baptism and stuff like that. But they get to the 15th article and they cannot agree. And this is very traumatic for Zwingli. He's put a lot into this, right? And with tears, he says, uh, there's nobody that I'd rather be more aligned with than the, than the Wittenbergers, right? right. And, and I, Luther <clears throat> probably doesn't have a whole lot of sympathy for Right, that. I could almost picture, like, Luther, I, we were talking about Reddit and the stock market. Mm -hmm. I could almost picture if there were memes at that point, like Luther kind of making a meme of that. Yeah. He, he's not, the, in the Luther class, I even go so far as to say, here's one probably where Luther was a bit of a jerk. Oh, he completely, yeah. Zingley dies and he's, and, and he says, well, kind of you get what you're, yeah. you're looking for. He's and, and to defend Luther a little bit here, you know, he's been through battle after battle, constantly battling that he does not have time to suffer fools. Right. And, and, well, and, and he's and, a very skeptical of this, um. The, the political designs that Philip sure. has behind this, too. So it, he's, he's also probably not thrilled to be there for that reason. Both Zwingli and Philip are going to have, in the back of their mind, they're going to be thinking politically, where Luther, we've talked about in the last couple uh, uh, sessions, is not, is not concerned about this, right? He's, you know, with the, with the Turkish invasion, you know, uh, he, he's not, he, he is not concerned with the practicality uh, issues that Philip of Hesse is forced to by his vocation to think about and and the elector of Saxony and the emperor and the archdukes. Yeah. It has, by the way, one of my favorite lines. Um, the uh, Sasa's book on uh, This Is My Body is just phenomenal on the Marburg Colloquy. It's not... Um, it's not where to begin a study of the Lord's Supper because it's it's uh, it's very heavy stuff. But um, he has kind of the back and forth there, and and Zwingli, you know, quotes one of these uh, kind of uh, flesh spirit verses, and he says uh, to to Luther, Martin, this will break your neck, which was a Swiss idiom for you know I'll win the argument, and Luther says Ulrich, you're in Germany now, <laughs> necks don't break so easily here, <laughs> and. Uh, um, kind of this great back and forth. Uh, yeah, I, you mentioned with the earlier articles, Mike. I mean, there's things like, well, let me just read briefly. They say about baptism, uh, we believe that baptism is a sacrament, which is an instrument of God for such faith and ordered by him. Go forth and baptize, and God promises thereby he who believes. Um, and then they're quoting Mark 16, will be saved. Uh, thus, it is not only a simple sign or symbol among Christians, but rather a divine symbol and work which supports our faith through which we um, are born again to eternal life. It would not take much to get them far fighting beyond what mm -hmm. was said there. Right? These um, were very carefully crafted articles. Um, and so I can see partly by the time they get to 15, you know, um, Luther's tired of the diplomatic language and... and um, you know, wants to make sure there's really unity and confession there. Um, and I think this is important for our own day, too, because how many, um, you know, I'm all for, for um, meaningful ecumenicism, right, an ecumenicism that really wants to find commonality of belief and unity of confession working towards fellowship. And we appreciate the, uh, what we might call a mere Christianity, 
where we have a connection about, let's say, a classical Christianity with our Anglican friends, our Reformed friends, with our Baptist friends, with our Roman Catholic friends, yeah. But at a certain point, the rubber hits the road. Um, And, you know, it's like some churches, you'll see they'll have their statement of faith, and it's just so blah, right? You you read through it, and there's no meat to it. Um, If these are things we truly believe, there's just got to be some things that are more than a purposefully vague, you know, sentence or a few sentences um, where we are holding to the whole counsel of God. And and this is not too, um, sometimes, you know, uh, Paul and Jesus both say things along the lines of there must be divisions among you to prove that which is true. Um, many of my best friends have a different confession, and one of the reasons I respect them is because they hold to that confession, right? This is what they truly believe is the most faithful confession. And I benefit often from talking with them more than um, from talking with those simply within my own fellowship because, uh, right, to be challenged is is good. And uh, I just think if what we came with out of Marburg would have been this benign, safe, ambiguous Protestantism, uh, does it really endure, Right. Um, maybe it leads to a new kind of political map in Europe. And, and some could question how well it really has endured to this day as it was. Um, but I would say in the grand scheme of historical things, it's endured pretty, pretty well, all things mm-hmm. given. Um, and so I, I really think this stand that Luther takes uh, often is uh, sadly um, either misunderstood or, or derided without an appreciation for why he did it. Almost any account of the Marburg Colloquy that you read from a, a generally kind of generic Protestant or Reformed stance will really lament or bemoan or just make Luther into this uh, very stubborn man. But the whole kernel of biblical theology is here in this article. Um, almost no one who is wrong on the Lord's Supper um, preaches the Incarnation well, right? Or as well as they they could. And more likely, they're going to largely ignore it. Right. And you end up then missing out on vocation in many ways. And you also end up with kind of this whitewashed, ascetic view of the world as well, with a lack of appreciation um, for God's good gifts of art and um, music uh, and things like that, too. Interestingly enough, many who have inherited kind of a pseudo Zwinglian view of the Lord's Supper eventually finally gave in and realized you got to have music, yeah, right? Or and and they've got PowerPoint screens, right? You, your art is good, um, but why they have that music and art is disconnected from their theology, yeah. right? And and so um, there's a. I think I'll say the last thing, and then I'll throw it to Mike, and then unless I have horse racing thoughts, I'll jump back in. Uh, what we see here too is um, for some of the reformed, doctrine was viewed, um, kind of like. Uh, just pieces of something, right? And you put the pieces together. Uh, individual, they were often, right, even Kelvin, right, he's, he's, when, he, when he's doing his, um, uh, oh, well, I can't remember, uh, institute, institutes, um, right, they're not always extremely connected. Mm-hmm. You're, they're just topical. And to be fair, uh, Melanchthon does this somewhat, but the flow of Melanchthon's is obvious. Um, and American Christianity does this too. Like, here's one doctrine, here's another doctrine, there's another. 
for Luther, it's like spokes in a wheel, mm-hmm. right? And if you get too many spokes gone, that wheel doesn't hold, mm-hmm. right? And and what's the um, I should know this. I I, I fix bikes, but the, the, hub. the hub, right? Um, I don't know a better way to describe, but hopefully everybody knows what the hub is, yeah. right? Um, the hub is Christ. Mm-hmm. And the reason Luther can't give in on the Lord's Supper is because Christ is present there. Um, and Christ is working through it for forgiveness, life, and salvation. And the fruits of Christ's cross are being uh, delivered to us. And I think this is something that hopefully is a healthy reminder for us in Christianity today as well, um, is that uh, that Christ is the hub and ought to be the place from which all doctrine flows, um, especially in a day where we're tempted to to, to to think this is the day and age where we fight this big fight on this teaching. If we get all consumed about whatever that teaching might be or whatever the distinctive is of our denomination um, and miss you know, that these are spokes that go into the hub. Um, spokes that aren't in the hub do no good. They, they, yeah. they bring no um, substance to the wheel. Uh, then I think we, we have a, uh, a problem. Did you go to Marburg, Marburg when you were in Germany? I did not. Well, see, I went, I was all excited. And uh, in the room you go to see where they were, they were practicing for some sort of play. Hmm. So I didn't even get really to see what hmm. I... Um, one see, but a, a neat little town, um, and just notice again, um, you have the political and the theological, and how are they going to balance out? Um, and Philip, who is going to end up leaning more towards the reformed eventually, yeah. is is going to um, want a uh, balancing of those two that is not consistent with what Luther it's, and others see as. It's a large temptation, and always will be. Mm-hmm. In including uh, America in 2021. Yeah, the incarnational thing, I think that's that's such a huge deal. There's a latent Gnosticism in the modern period. And uh, like you said, some people wake up and say, well, we at least have to have music. And I think uh, the evangelical world, and we've said this before, and this is from them, not necessarily from me, but there's a reckoning going on as we move out of whatever whatever we're calling this time, this 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 modern time. And I, I think it's not on accident. Then you see a lot of people kind of fed up and from the evangelical world go all the way to the East Orthodox, uh, attracted to that, um, uh, to that incarnational theology. Uh, when you starved people of that incarnational theology, um, well, I don't think it's such a, it, it, it's not surprising looking back with, and I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but looking back and seeing a movement towards that, an ultra-liturgical movement within Lutheranism that sometimes can turn into, um, let's say, showtime, who yeah. can be more liturgical than the next person without being uh, pastoral sometimes. I think that's of the same, the same era, the same movement generally. Oh, I had a good so, line in class the other day. I was joking about how I got confirmed twice, but I got better presence when I got confirmed Catholic than when I got confirmed yeah. Lutheran. And so I was joking uh, about maybe I'll get confirmed Catholic again just because I'd like to get a PS5. And I'm like, but I suppose the college would probably be like, oh, you know, Dr. Johnson, you can't get confirmed Catholic. And I said, but then I would just say, how come Berg gets to dress up like a priest every day? <laughs> the students all laughed at that one. And then you then you explained the round collars Lutheran and or do you leave that out? No, I talked more about PlayStation and what games I want to get. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's quite all right. Um, if I get games, you know where I'm going to buy them? Hmm. GameStop. 
Oh, for sure. I heard they're doing real well yeah. recently. Yeah. I bet they're, their, their stores are like paved with gold. A stock to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, and I, the, uh, the airline business is doing very well right now. <laughs> yeah. And so I've heard American Airlines is a, yeah. you know, your, this is your uh, let the bird fly stock tip yeah. <laughs> for the day. All right. We're at time. So uh, thanks for uh, listening. Uh, we'll be back probably, I think, we don't know for sure, but we'll probably do a couple characters next, Philip Fessa, and we really got to get to Charles V, Charles V yeah. too, too yeah. much. I, I'd like to do that before we get into the Augsburg, uh, um, um, the Diet of Augsburg and the Augsburg Confession. Did so, we figure out if we did John yet? Uh, no, I don't think we did John the Steadfast. Yeah. No, I think we did. Did we do John? I can't remember. I do have written down that we did do Swingley. That was part 30. This is part okay. 42. Well, we'll figure that yeah, out. But we'll figure it out. Expect some uh, kind of like bio profile ones kind of coming. Yeah, up. and then we'll get back 1530, and then we'll start talking about the Diet of Augsburg, and then eventually, I don't know, before one of us dies, we'll try to get to Luther's death, but we'll see. Until then, the next time you come and listen to Can us. Can I say it, Mike? Yeah. Let the bird fly. Thank you.
Another time. Another time.